So good morning, everyone. It's a blessing to be with you all in the house of the Lord this morning. Thank you. I was joy hearing the, the songs of praise, your voices being lifted high to our God. Just as a reminder that next weekend is a busy one, and so please be praying for all the different activities that are going on. There's activities going on in the school, activities going on in the church, activities going on in town. I got my uniform, so I'm, I'm ready to go for Saturday. So I'll be uh, walking on Saturday morning, and in a post-Roe versus Wade world, it's all the more important that we stand up for life. We're in a constant battle. It's a spiritual battle, ultimately. And so we need to fight it with truth and love and dignity and be part of the solution, whether it's adoption, whether it's helping mothers, whether it's fostering, whether it's supporting pro-life ministries. There's a whole kaleidoscope of things we can be involved in. But we want to continue to be a pro-life voice, a pro-life ministry, a pro-life church. And all the more as we see a culture that gets more and more decadent and more and more degraded and degrading by laws and by customs, all the more important for us to stand firm in the truth, to be people of purity and people of light. If you have not taken a chance already, I invite you to fill out the attendance forms that are in your rows so we can know who's with us and track with them. Uh, and also make sure your cell phones are turned to silent or turned off during this time so we don't have any interruptions as we look at our time in the Word this morning. If you happen to go out to a beach or go on a walk in a park, maybe go to a national forest and you're walking around, it's, it's not all that uncommon in open places to see people with metal detectors combing the area looking for some hidden or unseen treasure. So usually all they end up finding is a piece of scrap metal or a few coins. Once in a while, there is something of value that is discovered. In the early 1980s, a treasure hunter in Australia was using a metal detector to scout for little gold nuggets in one of those that country's abandoned mining areas. But on a whim, he decided to move his search into the local schoolyard when suddenly something set his machine off. Digging down into the ground, he was thrilled to discover what he thought was a nugget the size of a marble. And as he tried to dig it out, however, he found that it was at least the size of his thumb. And he continued digging, and as he continued digging, the nugget grew, as it were, until at last he pulled out a 67-pound nugget that came to be known as the Hand of Faith Nugget. He later sold that for a nice fortune. And in a combination of both determined effort and happenstance, he discovered something of great value. And from a material perspective, it was something greater than he had discovered in his life up until that point. There is a thrill in the discovery. There is a thrill in the hunt of the thoughts of stumbling upon some great treasure. In fact, because of the good rains we've had in recent months, prospecting for gold has actually increased in California as the rivers now are flowing a little heavier and people are going with the hope of what they might pull out in their next dig. 
But whether it is sought by accident or by active seeking, there is a joy in the discovery of treasure. And yet as we get to our time in the Word this morning, there is a treasure that surpasses anything that this world can promise or deliver or produce. And that is eternal life that is found upon entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And so in our time in the Word this morning, we're going to see the joy of life that comes from finding Jesus, whether through happenstance or through effort. And the value of that discovery sets a new course in the life of all who find it. And so this morning, we're going to take some time to look at the treasure that is Christ and his kingdom. And if you are able, I invite you to stand for the passage that we will consider this morning in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 52. This is a gift given to us by God the Holy Spirit with an intended message and meaning and purpose. Let us receive it for its intended purpose. And the beautiful word of God says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. May the Lord be pleased to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. And let us pray. Father, it's at the reading of your word that we recognize our great need. For indeed, unless your spirit is at work in our midst this morning, this becomes just a routine and a ritual that we go through. But Father, if we've come this morning, it is because we have heard your call to come and to gather and to worship and to be in your presence. And so give us attentive ears. Give us observant eyes. Give us open hearts. Give us wills that will bend to yours and to do your bidding. And so we depend upon you, O God, the Holy Spirit, to lead us in these moments that we might see the Lord Jesus in a greater way and have greater understanding of this word that you have given us. So teach us now in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In recent weeks, as you know, we've been studying Matthew chapter 13, this chapter that is just chock full of parables that give great illustrations of what the kingdom of heaven is like. We've seen that parables are given to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. They're used to explain the nature of God's kingdom, the nature of the king, Jesus, who is the one who has brought in this kingdom. They're a literary device 
that forces the listener to think, to pay attention, to hear, to observe, to obey, and to do. They're intended to stir up curiosity as we hear the truth of God. Well, in the passage that just precedes this one that we've read this morning, Jesus was explaining the parable of the weeds, showing that it is the nature of the case that weeds, these false seeds, will grow side by side with the true weeds, which is the wheat representing the Word of God. And they will wait until that final time when they will be separated out one from another for eternity. And it's at that point that we will see the true nature of each seed. The wicked representing the weeds are represented by the weeds, suffering their final and eternal punishment. While the righteous, we are told, will shine like the sun because the darkness of evil has been taken away. And if we're in Christ this morning and we have the privilege of having been touched by the Spirit of God, we've been born again, we've entered into the kingdom of heaven, we long for that day when the Lord will reign in the new heavens and the new earth where there is only righteousness and all wickedness has been banished and taken away and we will shine like the sun in His glorious presence forever. Well, the parables that we will look at this morning cause us to pay attention to the truth of true riches versus worldly treasures. And in fact, what they do is they provide living illustrations, as it were, of what Jesus has already taught us in Matthew chapter 6, where he compares worldly riches with the true riches of the kingdom of heaven. And in that context, you recall several times Jesus says, do not worry, for he knows the needs that we have and and calls us first to focus on him and on his kingdom and on his righteousness and then we'll receive that which we truly need in our daily lives we're going to see living illustrations of that truth this morning in these parables we will look at in Matthew 13 these three short parables they're unique to Matthew and I'm so glad that God the Holy Spirit giving us 66 individual books as they work together as a library giving unique contributions that allow us to see the fullness of the revelation of God. And so this morning we have these parables found only in Matthew. They're short and they're easy to understand, but they talk about finding what is of great value, finding the ultimate treasure, which is found only, of course, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So may the Lord place such a desire for Jesus in our hearts as we see evident in the word here this morning. At this time, I want to say good morning to those of you joining us online. It's good to have you with us here. We're so glad that technology can bring us together. And wherever you are gathered now, we're gathered with you around the throne of grace as we study this passage together. So open your Bibles to Matthew 13, and let's study God's Word together. Our first major point this morning, as you follow along in your sermon outline, is the joyful surprise. The joyful surprise. And our text begins by saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now in the day of Jesus, it was common for people to hide their valuables in a field or even in their homes or in the ground. There were no safes. There were no lock boxes or safe deposit boxes. There were no bank vaults. There were no Fort Knoxes in which they could hide things, their coins and their jewelry and their other valuables. So they would place them in clay jars 
and bury them in the ground. And this became a regular practice of life, especially when they had things of great value and especially as was common when they were under enemy attack. As they saw the enemies approaching, the armies of the enemies approaching, they would bury their valuables and hope to return later to collect them <clears throat> rather than just let them fall into the hands of the enemies or thieves that might be present. But it often was the case that many people could not return to the place where they had buried their belongings. Maybe they died in battle. Maybe they died in exile. Maybe they were away too long and they couldn't get back to their property. And over time, as memories would start to lapse, maybe they forgot where they hid things or what they had hidden in the ground. Their land might even get sold from them while they were in exile. And over time, as lands would be bought and sold, oftentimes the landowners had no idea what was actually buried on their properties. And so it would happen that people would stumble, as it were, across treasures in the field as they plowed a field, as they planted a garden. It wasn't the case that they were necessarily looking for a treasure. They just happened to stumble across it as they were working that field and preparing it for a harvest. History is full of the discovery of unexpected treasures found in surprising places. And even today, all throughout the lands of the Bible in the Middle East, archaeologists and explorers are still finding storehouses of buried treasures. Now, the laws in those days were generally that of finders keepers. If you stumbled across it, it was yours. Unless you happened to be working for the landowner, in which case the treasure would be given to him. So our parable, the first one we look at this morning, it's a straightforward parable. Very easy to understand. Man's working in his field and he stumbles across an unexpected treasure. And very quickly he realizes its value. And so he hides it so that no one else can find it. Goes off and buys the land. And we're told using all the resources that he has in doing so. Now that he is the owner of the field, it is clear that whatever treasures are found there will belong to him. And so he uses a combination of wisdom and expediency, hiding his excitement so he doesn't lose his reward. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is of such value that it is worth all that one has to enter into it. Because what one gains in finding the kingdom of heaven is of more value than we could ever accumulate here on this earth. Now, this is a parable, so we need to make a couple of things very clear. The point of the parable is not that we can buy our way into heaven. Salvation is always, from beginning to end, completely without fail, a gift of God. And it is all by grace. There's nothing we can do to buy our salvation, to earn our salvation, to obtain our salvation. In fact, the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin, which makes salvation necessary. Secondly, it's not a question here to call into question, if you were, the ethics of the person who finds the treasure. It's not clear that he has done anything wrong here, nor does Jesus hint that such is the case. It's a parable. In every parable, there is a main point not even probably a true story it's just as was the custom of Jesus he enjoyed using real life illustrations from everyday life to make a point clear and the point of this parable is crystal clear 
It is that the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else in this world. Nothing that we can obtain, whether it's rewards, whether it's riches, whether it's reputation, compares to the eternal value of belonging to Jesus Christ and being a citizen in his kingdom. We saw last week, we were reminded that the kingdom of heaven starts very small, as it were, as a mustard seed, but it will grow into something great and glorious and eternal and perfect. We've also seen again and again that there is a cost to following Jesus into the kingdom of heaven. But it is worth everything that we could bring. You see, nothing is too great of a sacrifice to live for the living king. Nothing is too great to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is to be desired more than anything else. And so notice then the reaction of this man as we see a key point here and the value of the kingdom of heaven. It says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. There is joy in hearing the gospel. There is joy in entering the kingdom of heaven. There is joy in beginning a relationship with the eternal one who has saved you, has called you, has redeemed you, who is holding you, and is preparing a great inheritance to give to you one day. Once you have tasted that the Lord is good, it's no longer a burden to serve him, to live for him, to love him, even as we have just prayed in the form of a song, we want to know you more, we want to love you more. And so we see in this parable, so to speak, that some people can, as it were, stumble upon the kingdom of heaven when maybe they weren't looking for it. Maybe they happen to see a Bible on a bookshelf in a neighbor's home. Maybe they're given a book by a Christian friend. Maybe they get on a bus and there's a track that's been left on the seat. Maybe accidentally they tune into a Christian radio station or stumble upon a Christian podcast. Maybe they get on an airplane and they sit next to a Christian who gladly shares to them the way of salvation. But whatever it might be in the providence of God, they are directed to hear and to see, and as a result, they repent and they believe and they live forever. Certainly that was the case of the Apostle Paul. He certainly was not seeking the Lord. In fact, he was doing everything he could to fight against the Lord. But he was found by the Lord when he was not looking for him. Just read his testimony in Acts chapter 9 and see how it was that God orchestrated this dynamic encounter with the one who had become the greatest apostle and missionary and theologian the church has ever seen. And it gives weight then when that same Paul, as he is explaining the gospel to the church in Rome, get to chapter 10. Chapter 9, explaining that God is in control of the process. In chapter 10, he says, so now, go out and preach so the people will hear. Go out and actively share the gospel with all who are around you. And then in the midst of that says, quoting God, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Indeed, for so many as they stumble as it were through life, stumble across the greatest discovery in the world, which is the kingdom of heaven. And they'll find that it really was not them that were seeking God. It was God who was seeking them, for he is the great seeker of all, because Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. 
some have that joyful surprise of stumbling across the greatest treasure of all and receive it in joy, considering of greater worth than anything in their lives. But others seem to be on some type of a quest. Oh, I don't believe it's a quest for God because the scriptures are clear that no one seeks for God. But I think they're seeking the things that come from knowing God, whether it's peace, whether it's health, whether it's hope, whether it's reconciliation. They seek the things of God. They're not necessarily seeking God himself, but they're on what we might call the worthy search. And that brings us to our next parable, which says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine jewels, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. We've seen that it's possible for people to stumble, as it were, upon treasure that is buried in the earth, and that treasure symbolizes the greater treasure, which is the kingdom of heaven found alone in Jesus Christ. But in the second parable, we find a man finds a pearl, of course, which are made by oysters in the water, and the idea is that God's truth can be discovered in a whole bunch of different ways. Well, much like today, and even more so, pearls were rare. The pearls were always of great value. And I love how pearls can be used to show the great value of things in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in Revelation 21, where we have a description of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, each gate of the, the new city is described as being composed of one pearl. Such great value are the gates of the kingdom of heaven. If the gates have such great value, how much more valuable is it to enter into that heavenly city where we'll be in the presence of God forever? But this merchant in this story, in this parable, is said to be in search of fine jewels. He deals regularly with fine jewels and things of value. And he knows a good jewel when he finds one. He's constantly on the lookout for things that are valuable that are treasures worth pursuing. And unlike the man who seems to stumble upon this treasure, this man is looking for treasure. He desires the best of things. And one day he finds one pearl of great value, one that has unparalleled value. And he realizes, I must have it. So he recognizes that it is more valuable than anything else he has had before. And so we're told he sells all that he has getting rid of everything else, including those pearls of lesser value, to get that which is the ultimate value, the ultimate purpose, the ultimate treasure, the kingdom of heaven. He gladly gives it all up for the ultimate treasure. Now again, we do not purchase our salvation. Our salvation has been purchased for us in Christ. We are not good enough to deserve heaven, nor adequate enough to earn it, nor smart enough to apply for it. We know that we are fallen, sinful, unable to save ourselves, and that salvation is always of the Lord, and it must be of the Lord if we are to be saved. And so keep in mind the main meaning of the parable. It's the value of the kingdom of heaven. And as we have eyes to see, and we see the value of that which is Christ, of that which is his kingdom, and we see the depth of our sin and what we really deserve before a holy God. We cry out to him who is merciful. And we say, will you save us, O God? Will you have mercy on us? Will you show us the way to eternal life? Keep us 
and save us forevermore. So this parable again shows the supreme value that we're to put on Christ and his kingdom. This man, he, he saw this pearl of great value and he jumped at the chance. Friends, have you heard of the value of the kingdom of heaven? Have you heard of the value of Jesus Christ who is worth more than anything else? If so, take advantage of the situation for today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to repent and believe and say, Yes, Lord, I must have you, the greatest treasure of all. And forsake all that you've been collecting up till now. Say, I want to live for Christ. And know true riches that are in him, forsaking the mere riches of this world. All of the joys and pleasures and experiences within the things of this world do not compare with the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have found, my friends, that Christ is our supreme treasure, we will not fall for the temptations of mere riches. There's no comparison between the kingdom of heaven and the things of this world. Think about it. The things that we strive after in this world, wealth, gold, which is considered of greatest value. My friends, think about this. Gold is merely pavement in the new heavens and the new earth. So why settle for pavement when you can have the creator and maker of all? The first disciples knew the value of Jesus, and they left everything to follow him. Their professions, their way of life, their personal passions and desires, their life plans. They left it all because they knew in following this itinerant Jewish rabbi, they would have true life and true understanding of Matthew 6.33, which says, seek First, the kingdom of God. And then these things. They knew that you could never outgive God. You could never sacrifice enough. You could never outgive the Lord who is able to repay and reward all that is done in his name and for his glory. And so the question we have this morning as we sit here at the end of April in 2023 is, what is your highest treasure in life? What do you truly value above all else? What gets you out of bed in the morning and causes your heart to beat just a little faster? What dominates your calendars and your checkbooks? The kingdom of heaven is to be the highest value, the greatest goal, the leading ideology, the guiding principle of your life. And so we've seen the example of the apostles who laid it all aside that they might follow Christ. And many of them paying the ultimate price. And we contrast that with the rich young ruler who just couldn't bring himself to separate from what he had earned and the identity that he found in his riches and in his reputation. We were called to value God and the kingdom of heaven above all else. So in a few chapters as we get there, Jesus is going to warn us, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? C.T. Studd was a missionary who gave his life serving the cause of Christ in China and in Africa. And after his conversion to Christ, though he had come from a rich family, he gave away his entire inheritance. And though he was talented as an athlete and could have pursued a professional career in the game of cricket, he laid it aside that he might be called, that he might go into 
gospel ministry for the rest of his life, and he said this, I had known about Jesus dying for me, but I had never understood that if he had died for me, then I didn't belong to myself. Redemption means buying back. So that if I belonged to him, either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, or else I had to give up everything to God. When I came to see that Jesus had died for me, it didn't seem hard to give up all for him. How could I spend my best years in life living for the honors of this world when thousands of souls are perishing every day? Now, it might be that you are not called to go to a foreign mission field, but you are called to forsake all so that Christ will be glorified. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Whatever treasures we have do not compare to the treasures we have in Christ, so let us be free to give it all away, to make it all available so that the gospel can be preached the kingdom of heaven presented, and men and women are called everywhere to repent and believe and enter into that kingdom. For if the Lord Jesus is our greatest treasure, and I hope this morning you confess him as such, then he is worthy of our best, our first, our greatest, and our all. Let us not in the busyness of life and the constancy of text messages and advertising. Let us not lose sight of the value of the kingdom of heaven, nor let us lose the joy of salvation. Let us not lose the ongoing desire to obey God, to trust Him, to submit to Him, to serve Him, for the Lord is worth it all. He truly is the worthy search. Thirdly, we see the judicial separation. The judicial separation separation again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind it's a great illustration especially in this area where we love recreation and we're so glad that we have a full lake this summer that we'll be able to enjoy it's a reminder that we are called to be fishers of men those who are called to go and pluck out of darkness those who need to walk in the light and this gospel of is to go out to all the masses. And there'll be a diversity of responses to it. We've already seen that several times in the gospel according to Matthew. But this parable reminds us that there are valuable responses and less than valuable responses, just as there are fish of value and those that are worthless. But here's the thing. All the fish come up that are trapped in the net, and all of them are evaluated. This is a reminder that ultimately we are not in control. It is the Lord who is in control, and so we find our greatest joy and freedom when we surrender to his way of doing things, when we commit ourselves to doing his will, not ours. And those who spend their time fighting against the Lord or resisting his actions or even trying to deny his presence or power will still be swept up in the net all the same and divided out in the final judgment which will be future and full. The text goes on and says, When it was full, men drew it ashore and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Now the net that's referred to here is a dragnet. 
Makes sense. You drag it along in the water. It was a net that was dozens and dozens of feet long and dozens of feet wide. It had weights on the bottom that would pull it towards the ground. It had flotation devices on the top that would keep it from being completely submerged. And it would trap all of the fish within the confines of its reach. It's a simple reminder that the net's not going to discriminate, so we shouldn't discriminate into whom we share the gospel. Preach it to everybody. To men and women and old and young and Jew and Gentile and rich and poor and royalty and peasant, it's to be available to all. The command of the church is to preach the gospel to all creation and to make disciples of all nations. Now, on the Sea of Galilee at that time, there were 20 known varieties, at least 20 known varieties of fish. Not all of them were useful. Not all of them were allowed for consumption under the law. And so it would be very common then, this separation of fish. It would be a very common sight in that fishing community. The nets would be dragged in. The fishermen would sort through the fish, sorting out the bad from the good. And notice that the net is only pulled out when it was full. We saw in an earlier parable that we're told to let the harvest go until the end when the weeds will be separated out from the wheat. In a similar manner, then, we're told that the harvest will be full one day and we wait until it's full and then the bad fish will be separated, as it were, from the good. And so it's a reminder of patience that judgment is coming, that it will happen on the timing of God in His fullness. And when that time is full for judgment, it will come. Not only will it be future and full, it will be final and fiery. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, we see the role of the angels who are taking away the presence of the bad from the presence of the good. Do you notice our Lord Jesus, the greatest example and manifestation of love in the history of the world is still not afraid to talk about judgment. Talk about the separation of the evil from the good. Talk about the eternal punishment of the wicked and the impenitent. And as these angels are involved, the ones who do God's bidding, they carry out his desires, and these fish, which represent people, are sorted out. The good ones will be kept. The bad ones are thrown away for destruction. And notice once again, it is the wicked that are taken out of the presence of the good so that the good can shine and be seen for what they are. Of course, the good are not good in and of themselves. They're good because of Christ. They're good because of the righteousness of Christ, clothed with the perfect righteousness of Christ, declared and called by God and in his presence. They're saved solely by grace and not by anything they do. And the bad are those who are still in their sin and who reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all are caught in the net. All will undergo scrutiny. All will be involved in the final sorting out. Everyone will be held accountable for the decisions they have made and for what they did with Christ. Just as there will be weeds among wheat until the end and wolves among sheep until the end, there will be bad fish among the good until the end. But there will be judgment. There will be separation. And my plea this morning is do not take lightly 
the final judgment of God. Do not presume upon the grace of the Lord. Pastor John MacArthur says, The dragnet of God's judgment moves silently through the sea of mankind and draws all men to the shores of eternity for final separation to their ultimate destiny. Believers to eternal life and unbelievers to eternal damnation. Evil will be dealt with one day. It will be rooted out. But it will take patience for us, we who are in Christ, to endure patiently until that day, knowing that it will come. And that final judgment is as sure as if it has already happened. Because there will be the judicial separation. But lastly, for those that are in Christ, there is the wonderful status. The wonderful status. And after Jesus has been teaching, he turns to his now his disciples and says, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Oh, what a privileged position these disciples were in. As they've been with the king, as they've heard about the kingdom of heaven, as they've had the secrets revealed to them, therefore they are, in fact, growing in their understanding. But let's look at the question again. Have you understood these things? And they said to him, yes. Well, it's true in, in a measure. They have been given, as it were, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. They have had things revealed to them that they would not otherwise know. But they're speaking a little better than they know. And we need to know that while they said yes, it was true that they understood in part, but not fully, not as much as they claim at this time, because we see the truth in the rest of the story. And it won't take very long. In chapter 14, they want to send the crowds away, for they do not understand what Jesus can and will do in the feeding of the masses. In Matthew 16, Peter himself says, Oh, no, 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 Lord, you're not going to go to some ignominious cross. Later in the gospel, it's Peter himself who even denies that he knows Jesus. We see that the disciples have doubts and they all run away when Jesus is arrested. So Jesus asks them the question, Have you understood these things? And they say yes. And he knows what's coming. And he doesn't rebuke them because he also knows that they know more now than they did before because they've been hearing his teaching for a while he has been revealing things to them he knows that they did have some understanding it was just not complete yet the parables are starting to have the desired effect as they grow in their understanding of what they're hearing but they need more understanding they need to grow in that understanding in that knowledge in that truth and who jesus really is let me ask you a question this morning are you growing in your understanding in the things of god As we have a Bible that we can open every day, do we open it every day? As we have a church that we can attend regularly, do we attend regularly? As we have the opportunity to worship and praise God, do we take advantage of those opportunities? Are we growing in the things of God? Well, after we see that they are growing in their understanding, we see that they are trained to share. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master's house. I love that word. They're trained. There's intentionality. There's teaching. There's discipleship. There's instruction. They're being trained. They're being equipped. And they've been trained for 
the kingdom of heaven. Not the ways of the world. Not the ways of the scribes and the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders. Not in the ways of Rome. They're not depending upon the credentials that the Jewish people are relying upon. They have something far better. They have personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. They have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I ask the question again, as you honestly look at your life, are you trained for the kingdom of heaven? Are you growing in your understanding of the things of God? Is your knowledge of the Bible better today than it was a year ago? Are you obeying the, more, the Lord more today than you were yesterday or a year ago? Is repentance and confession of sin a daily practice as you recognize your daily need for gr grace and your daily need to turn to Him and say, Lord, continue to work in my life so that I can become more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you truly seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Is that the lifestyle that you're living? Think of the privilege that we have. In a world where so many do not yet even know the name of Christ, we have a copy of God's Word in our hands, on our phones, on our bookshelves. We have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. We're blessed to be in union with Christ, who is our true identity. So each morning as the Lord gives you breath and gives you life, begin with Him. Say, thank you, Lord, for a new day. Thank you for a holy word. Thank you for your indwelling spirit. Thank you for the church. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, would you enable me to walk with you today? And then let him guide you and grow in obedience and truth and love. We're trained for the kingdom of heaven so that we would share with others what we have in Jesus. And we're trained because we also can see now that Christ is in all of Scripture. Christ in all of Scripture. Like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. We're these new scribes. And we have the Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate master. And the church is his house. And we are his temple. And the master of a house out of his treasure brings the new and the old. And what Jesus is getting to is he's the focal point now of both the New and the Old Testament. He is the focal point of all that was given before and is the fulfillment of it all. And he, in fact, now is the meeting point between men and God. And if we're in Christ, we have the ability and the opportunity to understand in a deeper measure how this book fits together and how it all unfolds around the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ, we're the new scribes who've been taught by Jesus, who've been given the word, and the word is written on our hearts, and we have the indwelling spirit, and we can learn from God, and we can know the truth in a greater way, and so we should be able to learn and understand and apply that all of Scripture is given by God and is useful for teaching and for growing in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And the word order here is important. What is new and what is old, the new now comes before the old because the new fulfills the old. And what is new is Jesus, who gives a true understanding of the law and the prophets, who is the fulfillment of them. And so the Christian is one who has a full gospel found in a full Bible to be taught to the whole world with all 
all of the things that are here is Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have prescribed. And so is our life marked by sharing what we have received from Christ and sharing it with others in word and in deed and in effort and in opportunity. You see, all that we have in the Christian life is bound up in Jesus. He's the ultimate treasure, the ultimate reward, the one who ultimately fulfills all of the desires that we have. Listen, we have desires, and they're good, and I don't ask God to take away my desires. I ask God that I can fulfill those desires in holy and godly ways, and he gives that. And so I can be fully satisfied and have my desires satisfied because God has created me to be satisfied in him. In him, we have the fullness of the meaning of life. In him, we have the understanding of how the New and the Old Testaments work together. In him, we have been redeemed, and we belong to him. Therefore, our heart's desire should be gladly share what we have learned with others. And as we repent daily, as we turn from our sins daily, as we seek Christ daily, may the Lord find us as faithful scribes in our lives and ministries to others. Now, the next time that we'll be together, which will be next week, but we're going to have a guest preacher next week. We have a family conference next week, and so we're going to have a guest preacher next week. But when we get back to chapter 13 and we finish, we're going to look at the reaction that even Jesus had after all of the parables that he has taught. We'll find that even Jesus had opposition in his own family and in his own hometown. And that will help to gird us in our own discipleship walk with him. But until that time, what are some lessons we can take away from today? Because Jesus is the greatest treasure, we repent of those things in our heart that contend for what rightly belongs to him. This is where we have to ask God to do a great work in our hearts and be courageous enough to say God is right, we are wrong, we repent. Because the kingdom is to be our highest value, we pray for help to prioritize properly our responsibilities. We have them. We need to carry them out. But we need God's wisdom to carry them out responsibly in the proper priority. Thirdly, because all need to hear the gospel, we commit ourselves to doing all that we can to get the word out to as many as possible. That's our task as a church. Just tell the whole world who Jesus is and invite them to come. And lastly, because we are now scribes, we are now the ones that have been set apart to teach and to understand and to share what we have heard, we will joyfully share with others what we have learned about Jesus. I pray this morning that as we think about these things, we will look to Jesus as our greatest treasure. Let us pray. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. Father, would you hear the cry of our hearts? 
would you stir in us in such a, such a way that we just long for the treasure that is our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And that we would gladly forsake all else, that we would know him more. Because, Father, we know that in knowing you more through your son, Jesus Christ, we properly appreciate the blessing that you have given us. So, Lord, guide us this week. Help us. Teach us. Guide us. May Christ be our treasure, as we pray in his holy name.